Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Well, over the next few weeks, we're going to be going through the entire book of Malachi, and we're going to be talking about crybabies, because the people in Malachi's time were a bunch of crybabies. Anybody here ever known a crybaby? Anybody here sitting next to a crybaby? Okay. All right. All right. Too many of your hands went up there uh, as we went through that. Well, uh, if you're an NBA fan, uh, one of the things that aggravated me during the playoffs this year was that every single call, even when somebody just totally destroyed somebody else, whoever made the foul would, would whine and cry. Like, I, I barely took his head off. How's that a foul? And, and it was like every single solitary play. Well, I saw something this week that I thought was interesting. It was the main crybabies in the NBA for 2022 ranked. And so I wanted to go over the top five crybabies in the NBA, and you can see if you agree with them or not. Number five in the top crybabies in the NBA was Chris Paul of the Phoenix Suns. And uh, so great job, Chris. Very proud of, proud of you there. Number four, James Harden, the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, never saw a play where he wasn't fouled. Number three, Luka Doncic, the Dallas Mavericks. I watched all the Dallas series this year. He literally did whine on every single call. And then the one that I thought would have been number one actually only ended up number two, Draymond Green, the Golden State Warriors. Uh, so bad that his grandmother texted him after an NBA Finals game and said, stop crying after every play. That's pretty bad when grandma does that, that to you. And then the most whiny player in the NBA for 2022, any thoughts? LeBron James, the Los Angeles Lakers. Now LeBron suffers from this. He's got that Michael Jordan syndrome where you get every call. And so if you're getting every call, anything that goes against you, you're going to freak out and whine. And so LeBron James, number one whiner in the NBA for 2022. Well, we're going to look at the book of Malachi, and we're going to talk about a bunch of crybabies. And this is going to go on for the next few weeks as we go through the entire book of Malachi. Uh, we're going to see a group of people that complain about any and everything and take responsibility for absolutely nothing. So let's jump right into it and see what we got. If you turn over the book of Malachi, chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to begin by talking a little bit about background on the book of Malachi. So chapter 1, verse 1 says, A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Now, that's actually a lot uh, more intense than it sounds because that, that Hebrew word prophecy is actually the word oracle or the word burden. And so uh, this is generally only used if there's some sort of message of condemnation that's going to come after it. So when in the English it says prophecy, it's a little bit watered down. Think of it as this is the burden that the Lord gave to Israel through Malachi. So what's a little of the background of the book of Malachi? Well, who was the author of the book of Malachi? Anybody want to hazard a guess here? You are such religious scholars, I tell you. Yeah. Was it Malachi? We don't really know. Malachi simply means my messenger. 
It's not normally a regular name that you give to someone. So it could just be saying, this is the messenger of the Lord. It could actually be uh, an actual individual person. But for our, uh, our goal for the next few weeks, we're just going to refer to the author as Malachi. So he is God's messenger, uh, is what that names mean. So what time period are we talking about here? This is about 450 B.C., so this is the time frame uh, when Israel has come back from the exile. The temple has been rebuilt, uh, but things are not going real well right now for the children of Israel. There's a lot of hardship, a lot of tough times uh, that are going on at this particular uh, time. If you think about this time frame, this is when you would have had Socrates uh, in Athens. Uh, and it's kind of that, that whole time frame uh, as that Greek revitalization, that Hellenistic uh, culture began to take shape over there. And the situation is things are tough in Israel. Uh, God has had enough. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's why this is called a burden or an oracle. It's a heavy message at times, one that Israel needs to hear. But the problem is this. Israel doesn't hear it. They whine about everything. As a matter of fact, the book of Malachi is based around eight times that God tells them something, and they have a little snappy, snarky comeback every single time God says something to them. And I'm going to go over those with you right now. God's going to say, I love you, and they're going to say, you don't love us. How have you loved us? God's going to say, you're despising my name. And they're going to say, how are we despising your name? God's going to say, you're polluting my altar. And they're going to say, how are we polluting your altar? God's going to say, I'm not going to accept your offering. And they're going to go, why wouldn't you accept our offering? God's going to say, you're just wearying me. And they're going to say, how are we wearying you? God's going to say, if you just return to me, I'll forgive you. And the people are going to say, how can we return to you? God's going to say, the way you're living is like you're robbing me. And they're going to say, how are we robbing you? And God's going to say, you're speaking against me in your everyday lives. And they're going to say, how are we speaking against you? So every single time God says something to them, they're going to have a little snappy, snarky comeback. And the book of Malachi is kind of based uh, around this give and take uh, between God and Israel. So that's kind of the background. So let's jump into it. We're just going to look at verses 2 through 6 today. Uh, verses uh, uh, 2 through 6. So let's jump right into it. And we start with this. The greatest truth you will ever hear in your entire life is that God loves you. The greatest truth you will ever hear your entire life is that God loves you. Look down to the very beginning of verse 2 of the book of Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. So after saying, okay, Malachi is the messenger of the Lord, it starts out with this great proclamation of God's love. I have loved you, says the Lord. These are still the most important words you'll hear today. Uh, they were the most important thing the people in Malachi's day could have ever known, the most important thing you could ever hear. And all of your problems and troubles and heartaches and everything that you go through in life and the ups and downs and the good and bad, the one consistent thing is that God loves you. And Malachi's message is to Israel in particular, but the message of the Bible is that God loves each and every one of us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. And so it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what your gender is, what your race is, or what your nationality is. You were created by God. You were created in God's image. God loves you, and Jesus died for you. 
And that'll be the greatest thing you'll ever know, you'll ever encounter, or you'll ever hear in your entire life. And sometimes we have trouble believing that because we think, well, I'm not a very good person. I mess up all the time. Surely God couldn't love me. I have to earn and deserve God's love. 1 John 5, 10 says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. God's not waiting for you to love him. God's not waiting for you to come to him. God's coming to you. God's approaching you. God's seeking you. God loves you. He's the one doing the heavy lifting. What we need to do is accept it. Jeff McDowell lives in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Uh, he was a drug addict for over 30 years. He tried everything, in and out of rehab, uh, all kinds of programs. Nothing seemed to work. And finally, at the end of his rope, sitting in an alley in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Jeff McDowell finally said the first prayer of his life, and he says, God, if you exist, I can't do this. I'm a mess. I throw myself on your mercy. And his whole life turned around from that moment. And so now, a couple of days a week when he's got off days, Jeff does something kind of weird. He goes out into the streets in Tuscaloosa. He holds up a sign that just says, God loves you because of what God has done in his life. He says he gets pretty mixed reactions. Some people honk and wave. Some people give him a thumbs up. Some people give him a different finger. Uh, he's had uh, uh, McDonald's cups thrown at him and everything else. People cuss at him. Uh, but he said, I just want to go out there and let them know the only reason I'm standing here is God loves me. God loves you. It's a message I want to pass on. The greatest truth you'll ever hear is that God loves you. Now, we said the book of Malachi is based around the fact that every time God tells them something, the people have a snarky, snappy comeback. So God says, I love you. What's the reaction of the people? Look at the very next thing in our scripture passage. I have loved you, says the Lord, but the sad reality is that most people do not accept God's love. Look at verse 2 again as we jump down uh, into that. But you ask, how have you loved us? So God says, I love you, and the people's reaction you would have thought would have been, oh my, that's amazing, the God of the universe loves me. But the reaction is, we don't see any of that. You love us? How are you loving us? If you love us, why are our lives so difficult? If you love us, how come I have problems? If you love us, how come things are turning out the way that they have? I'm not seeing it. Why don't you love us? And so God makes this great pronouncement of love, and the people's response is, I'm not seeing it, I don't believe it, uh, it's not true. And that's still something that happens to us today. As a matter of fact, most people, when encountering the idea that God loves you, are going to reject that idea. And they're going to reject it for a lot of different reasons. Some are going to reject it because they just don't believe in God at all. I don't believe there's a God, so I don't believe he loves me, and, and uh, it's just a bunch of nonsense. Some people are going to reject it because of what I said earlier. They don't feel lovable. I mess up all the time. I do things that are wrong. I'm not deserving of this. And so we feel like then God must not love me because I'm not a very lovable person. Some people look at their problems and their lives and their troubles, and they think if God loved me, he'd be doing something about it. God's not holding up his end of the bargain. Where is God? How come he's not helping? He obviously doesn't love me and that's the problem in the book of malachi the people are saying why are things so bad in our lives if god loves us 
Now, one of the things we're going to see in the book of Malachi is this. Malachi is trying to get the people to see a lot of your problems and a lot of your troubles are self-inflicted wounds. You're going through these things because of what you believe, because of how you live, and because of how you treat others. And you're making your life a mess, and it's hard for God to do anything in your life when you're the one making all these bad decisions. Now, they're not going to accept that. They will never take responsibility for what God is trying to tell them here. They're always going to want to blame somebody else. But the idea is God saying, I love you, them saying, we're not seeing it, even though the root cause of all of, them, all of their problems are themselves. Read an interesting story this week about Russ Taff. Uh, some of you older people might remember Russ Taff. Uh, he's a Grammy Award winner, Christian singer. Uh, he was the lead singer of the Imperials, had a very successful uh, 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 solo career himself. Just wrote a new book called I Still Believe, where he shared some things that uh, uh, he had never told before. He grew up a pastor's son. But he grew up in a very dysfunctional family that was both verbally and physically abusive. Uh, one time his dad got so mad at him that he kicked him over and over again, and it took him two weeks to be able to leave his bed and go back to school uh, because of the physical abuse that his dad gave him there. Both his mom and dad would tell him how useless he was and how bad he was uh, all the time. He said he was just always scared that he was going to have a beating, and yet his dad would then go preach every single day about God's love. And they discovered early on that Russ was a good singer. And so he was the little boy always out there singing at church and all that kind of stuff. He started doing some solo things around and pretty soon became the lead singer of the number one contemporary Christian group at that time, the Imperials. But in the back of his mind, he kept thinking, does God really love me? If God loves me, why do I have the kind of parents I do? If God loves me, how come something happened before then? And he said that it got so bad that at the height of his fame, he became an alcoholic just like his father was. And the way he got by was drinking himself into oblivion each and every night. He said he finally got some counseling, uh, began to try to see things, and he said it did help a whole lot, uh, but he still had this nagging doubt, does God really love me? And then one thing changed his whole life, and it's kind of a, a weird story. He had a friend that told him, hey, Russ, I've got a good friend of mine who's a pastor, and he's dying, and you're his favorite singer. Will you just come by and say hi to him at the hospital? And Taff said, well, sure, I'll be glad to do that. So he said he walks into the room, and the guy looked like the spitting image of his father. And he said to the extent that he had to back out of the room and compose himself, he went in back inside. He met the guy, a very nice guy. Uh, he was a pastor. He sang a couple of songs for him, and uh, he had a prayer for the guy, and he said, I started to leave the room, and the guy grabs my hand. And he said, now, this guy's really weak. He's dying of cancer. Who's going to die the next day? And he grabs my hand very strong, and he said, there's pain in you, and I don't know where it's from, but I want you to know this. God has used you. It has mattered. And you need to hear this. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And he said that changed his entire life. And he walked out of the hospital room and he thought, God loves me. So here's exactly what's going on in the book of Malachi. They're having problems. They're having trouble. They're trying to wrap themselves around the idea, does God really love me? And that brings us to the last thing that we see in our scripture passage. 
God's grace shows his love and greatness. God's grace shows his love and greatness. So God says, I love you. The people say, have you loved it? We don't see it. And so now God is going to give them three examples of God's love for them. An example from the past, an example from the present, and an example from the future. They're all tied together. It's basically one story, but it shows them God's love for them has been continual from the past to the present to the future. Look down to the end of verse 2 again. The end of verse 2. It says, Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I've loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. I've turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They may be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You'll see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. So he gives the example of God's continual love for them in the story of Esau and Jacob. Now, Esau and Jacob were the twin sons of Isaac. And Esau was the rightful heir. He was the firstborn. They were twins, but Esau came out first, so he should have inherited everything. But God chose Jacob. And in doing this, it was an example of God's election. It was an example of God's grace. And what it was saying was that you don't come to God by deserving or good works or inheritance, that coming to God is a result of God's amazing grace. And that because God chose Jacob, that was the only reason these Israelites that he was talking to existed at all. If God hadn't chosen them, if God hadn't given them his grace, if he had just gone along with the normal inheritance lines, then they wouldn't even have been a country to mourn at this particular time. God had worked in their past. And you can look at your life and say, how has God worked in my past? I've taken a lot of things for granted. Uh, has God forgiven you of your sins? Has God given you that salvation? Has God helped you in other times that you've had troubles? How has God worked in your past? Hold on to that. Realize that. Thank God for what he's done in the past. He then goes on and he talks about what God is doing in their present. In their present. Verse 3, he says... Uh, I have turned their hill country into a wasteland, and I have left their inheritance to the desert jackals. So now this is talking about Israel's relationship with the country of Edom. The people of Esau, Esau's family became the Edomites. Jacob's family would become the Israelites. They were close cousins, but they hated each other almost throughout all of history. As a matter of fact, when Babylon destroyed Jerusalem, it was the Edomites who come in, came in and did most of the destruction, did most of the damage, most of the murdering, because they hated the Israelites so much. And God says, look, they're your mortal enemies, but look, I've destroyed their land. It's in ruins right now because I am taking your side in this. And so today we say, okay, I know I've got problems. I know I have troubles, but God's still working today. If you really look at your life and you really are honest, you probably have more blessings than you do things that you feel bad about and problems that you have. The trouble we have is this. When you have a problem, that's all you can see. You can't see behind your problem. It's always right there. It's always right in your face. And so your problems become huge, and you miss all of God's blessing around you. And then finally, he talks about the future. Verse 4. Uh, he says, They may rebuild, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes. Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. 
So he just tells them, look, even in the future, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you when you're enemies. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Here's the problem we have. The problem we have is that when we have problems and troubles, we blame God for our problems and troubles. Because what we think is this. If God loved me, nothing bad would go wrong in my life. Well, nowhere in the Bible are we told if God loves you, nothing's going to go wrong in your life. As a matter of fact, in the 23rd Psalm, it says, When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because he's with me. It doesn't say you don't walk through dark valleys that feel like they're killing you. It says you're not walking through them alone. The problem we have is we think God makes our problems disappear. We're never told that. What we're told is, no, when problems come, you don't go through them alone. God's with you every single step of the way. That's a much different story. You're not going to have perfection. You're not going to have your problems disappear until you get to heaven. You are sinful people in a fallen world, and there's always going to be troubles, and there's always going to be problems because this isn't the world God intended in the Garden of Eden, and God is there to give us strength and help when those times come. And so we look at our scripture, and we see God has worked in their past, their present. He's going to work in their future, and that was supposed to encourage them. I saw an interesting story uh, online this week about a Hyundai dealership in Tucson, Arizona. Tucson Prime Hyundai. And it was about a stray dog. Uh, This stray dog wandered up one day and uh, was uh, kind of a little uh, wary of people. But finally, one of the people that worked at at the Hyundai uh, patted the dog. And that was about it. The next day, it was blistering hot in Tucson, and the dog whirly came up again, and somebody said, man, it's hot out there. Get him something to drink. So they got a little bowl, uh, gave him some water. Well, now he's been patted, and he's been given water. So the third day, he shows up again, and one of them's eating lunch, and he's got a hamburger. He breaks it in half. He gives it to him. Guess what happens the next day? He's been fed. He's been watered. He's been patted. He's back again, and he's trying to get inside with them. So guess what they do? They hire him. He now works. This is Tucson Prime right there that you're seeing. He now has a job at the Hyundai dealership uh, that is there in Tucson, Arizona. He does everything. Here's another picture of Tucson Prime right there, sealing the deal on a contract that's been made. Go home, call Tucson Hyundai. Uh, He'll be right there to answer the phone for you. Now, why has Tucson Prime been able to do all of this? Because when he was wary, somebody patted him. When he was wary, somebody gave him water. When he was afraid of people, somebody gave him something to eat. And he saw the love that was there, and it made a difference in a dog's life. Our scripture begins with some interesting words. I love you. And it's the most important thing you'll ever hear. And so our decision today is, how do you react to those words? You individually, how do you react to God loving you? You can be like the children of Israel and say, how have you loved us? I don't see it. It's not showing up anywhere. I don't even know that I believe it. How have you loved me? But maybe you hear those words, I have loved you, and it makes you think a little bit. My life's different because of God. Thank you. I've loved you. I want to serve you. I want to do something to let other people know that your love is out there. 
I've loved you, then I need to be a part of your family. I need to, I need to join a church. I need to be involved in that church. I have loved you. I need to give my life to you as Lord and Savior. I need to follow you in baptism. I've loved you. What do you need to do when God says to you, I've loved you? Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for this message out of Malachi today. And our prayer is that each of us would look at our lives and answer that simple question, how do we respond knowing that God loves us? In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.